Welcome to Simple Evolution, the show where we try to evolve through honest conversation. Each week, we break down thought-provoking news and interesting findings from science and the humanities. Making sense of our dynamic world requires meaningful conversations. Our aim with this podcast is to further understand the world and our place in it. Wear a hard hat, but keep an open mind. Let's get started. Okay, welcome everyone. We're back for episode 25 here at Simple Evolution, and I'm very excited to announce the topic today. So we are very interested in discussing artificial intelligence with applications in drug discovery, and part of the reason we're deciding to discuss this now is just yesterday, so Thursday, November 4th, Demis Hassabis, who's the CEO of DeepMind, which is a company owned by Alphabet, or the, the company that also owns Google, they just announced that they're launching a new AI company called Isomorphic Labs, which is going to focus on using AI machine learning to discover new drugs. And so they're not a new player in this market. Uh, there's a lot of exciting companies in the space that are focused on designing both small molecules as well as more biologics, so things like antibodies, which are proteins as therapeutics. And so one of the interesting things here, there, there's still a lot to learn in this space and that the AI is not always um, effective in terms of the solutions that you get. But this is something that is here to stay. And we've seen companies that have raised a lot of money. We're talking hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars um, in multiple series funding. And there's a lot of upside here. So I guess it's just the classic disclaimer that I'll give uh, Elliot and myself are not computer scientists. We're we're very interested in AI, but we're definitely not true programmers. So a lot of what we're talking about is very high level, and we're bringing it up mainly just because we're we're curious in the topic. And so the first kind of point of interest that I'd like to transition to my co-host here is: Were you even aware of how many molecules drug companies start with in terms of trying to screen them down to find a drug candidate? No, I had no clue. And uh, without you in my life, I probably wouldn't have heard of this news until it was a lot further down the pipeline as well. Yeah. Um, what struck me was, I think, the space comparison. What was it, 10 to the 60th? 10 to the 60. And You want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. So let's just put this in perspective. So I think most people outside of science, they're familiar with how large a billion is, which is 10 to the 9 or trillion Right, especially when we think of, say, U.S. debt in the trillions. And, you know, we're talking 10 <laughs> to the 12, yeah. which is a lot. So here we're talking 10 to the 60. And so realistically, these numbers, we just can't even understand how large they are. Yeah. But one in of the... comparison, what was... Was it more atoms or... Yeah. It was even more atoms uh, in the 10 to the 60th in the, the drug verse. I, how would you explain that? Yeah, so there's... The estimates range that basically if, if you consider all small molecules that have drug-like properties, that's put at 10 to the 60 right. compounds. And that's more than the atoms in the solar system. Yes. That's insane. And so exactly. And so what what we're seeing here is just we now live in an age, um, now we have the tools to actually live in this age, of everything is being big data. So anyone who's maybe heard the term genomics, transcriptomics, Omics is basically just a collection of, so when we think of genomics, we're thinking of all the collection of the genes that make up the DNA. When we're thinking transcriptomics, it's all the 
messenger RNA in, in the body that we can kind of build into databases. Then there's proteomics, there's metabolomics. So everything is going in this, if it can be characterized, let's put it in a database and then let's try to develop tools that can help us analyze and make sense of this. And so this is the era that we're living in and it's kind of cool because we're seeing a really interesting way that computer science is being blended with both biology and chemistry. So there's like a cool field called bioinformatics, which is basically at the interface of, of those types of uh, studies. Let me uh, let me just simplify this for a second. Yeah. Because I, I'm when I was reading these articles, I constantly thought about how this was not my wheelhouse, although it was interesting. So let me give try and give a simple breakdown, and maybe you can correct me where I'm wrong. Love it. So where chemists operate right now, traditionally, they seek traditional... Um, molecule patterns to, to try and find new drugs for whatever kind of disease. And they have to find a, a, an atom and a molecule pattern that would fit together and work to create a new drug. But what happens, what's, hap what's starting to happen now is companies can start to use AIs to start to put together these molecules and drugs. And as we know, AIs are um, a lot better at optimizing and maybe not Efficient maybe not the right word, but a lot quicker at going through these combinations than a human would be. So they what usually what the estimate was is what usually takes chemists four point five years to discover and optimize drug candidates for pre-trial testing. The AIs got it down to maybe one year. But there's pros and cons along with the AI's approach, which we'll get into. But just the the speed of the AI in this new realm can can, has the potential to get drugs a lot quicker to market and um, all around just make the process a lot faster because humans we you know we're, we're not optimizing machines yeah <laughs> exactly no that, that's a great introduction so some things to add there would be yeah so from the, from the chemist perspective what's ideal is if you actually have a target so for example what a lot of experiments now, if you're trying to determine, like say your target is a protein, what you want to know is where are we going to dock a potential molecule to this protein? And so it helps if you already have a structure that then you can say, okay, given the active site on this enzyme or given this kind of little docking site that we're interested in, in trying to target, we now have a general idea of what the molecule should be. What, what should its size be? What should its shape be? And so the, the traditional approach would be you'd have bench chemists either doing it manually or a lot of industry companies have more of an automated approach called high throughput screening. But you basically would go through and test thousands of compounds. Mm -hmm. What's happening now is through AI, you're starting with these compound screening libraries that you yeah. normally would have. But as long as you have high quality training data and you, you mm -hmm. have a, a target in mind, the AI is able to take, say, a compound library of 10 million different molecules, and it can distill that down to about 20 or, or even less candidates. Right. Where then the company says, okay, great, we're now going to actually test these 20 molecules right. because the you know 20 is a lot fewer than a million if you're right. going to actually go through but, the experiments. But it's based on the data set that the AI has available. Yes, and it. that's an important point. Because and it's also based on, on, its, on its algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because there's instances um, in, in the articles that we read where the AI solutions in terms of what molecules they recommended as potential candidates to a chemist, you just kind of laugh either because 
the compounds are very difficult to make. So in chemistry, but theoretically possible. So the, that's why the exactly, AI brings it up. Exactly. And so the danger of say the disconnect between theory and experiment is if you're the chemist and you're looking at a molecular structure that some program says, Hey, you know, this is a front runner for a potential drug. This is, you know, potentially going to make you billions. The danger is compounds that require multiple synthetic steps mm -hmm. are more and more difficult to make. So right. the more steps required to make a molecule, it's less because you have to make this at scale, right? If it works, right. you have to make it at scale. And so another thing that I guess was laughable that the chemists saw in some of the, the AI solutions are compounds that just had very high ring strength. So they're very unstable molecules. Mm -hmm. So basically to your point about the AI, so basically machine learning is going to benefit the most from a highly accurate set of data to work with, right? right? Because it's, it's only as good as what you give it. And so in that instance, what's going to yield the best results is, do you have a crystal structure if you're, say, targeting a protein, you're making a small molecule, and then you're giving the AI a data set that has high-quality information based off that, where then the front-running candidates that you go and test, hopefully one of them actually has a chance of making it as a drug. Mm -hmm. And so what we're starting to see in this space, and I definitely want to give a shout-out here because... We're currently recording this in Vancouver, British Columbia. And for those that don't know who are from Vancouver, there's a excellent biotech company called Abcelera that's run by Carl Hansen. And it's a, it's a really big biotech company. They're actually expanding very quickly. But let me just give a little bit of uh, data here. So in May 2020, Abcelera raised $105 million in a Series B to expand their antibody drug discovery platform. And then they actually went public in December of 2020, and their IPO closed at 556 mil. Wow. So this is what's cool. And sorry, this is just one company. I just kind of selected this just based on location. But there are a ton of companies and there are a ton of funding that are being poured into a lot of these new players using AI and drug discovery. Another interesting thing, too, on this topic is just that the ability to make these algorithms is a lot a lot less expensive than if you were trying to be a biotech company that had all the bells and whistles that a pharma company would have in terms of having high throughput screening mechanisms to actually like try and, and test all these drugs. Basically, you can have these very small companies that rely on just building an algorithm that holds all the value and then they'll go in partnership with exactly. big pharma. So yeah, they don't have as much upfront cost. Yeah, and just really basically again, the AI algorithms can catalog, characterize, and compare properties of millions of compounds to find the best drug candidates. So that's what it all all breaks down to is using a more efficient method or using a quicker method rather to to find drug candidates. Exactly, and I think it'd be nice to give a little summary here. So part of the reason we're describing say AI and drug discovery is for three main reasons. One, it's quicker. So the element of speed is obviously really important. It's cheaper because what you're doing is you're modeling more drugs, more potential drugs in silica, which means just through computer modeling. So then you don't have to spend money wasting reagents to actually test those if you don't think they're gonna be your candidate anyway. So yeah, sorry, so it's faster, it's cheaper, and then it's safer because part of the reason it's safer is when Elliot was just describing how timelines could be shortened from four to five years down to a year, he's referring to kind of the initial stage of drug discovery. So that's you're trying to identify your target, you're trying to make your compounds, and then you're testing that in preclinical models, which means you're using animal models. 
So it's safer in the sense that as the simulations become more and more accurate, it will require less work in, in animal models. And so that's going to be beneficial. So what's cool here is we're using AI to basically accelerate bringing a drug to market that could be very valuable for you down the road as a patient. Mm -hmm. And another thing they talked about is the AI, obviously it doesn't go on the, uh, the conditions that the typical chemists go on. So they're trying kind of every possible combination um, and they're opening up less explored regions of the chemical space. What I mean by that is chemists usually have a certain template or they look in a certain area and certain combinations of drugs that uh, have been known to, to yield results before and they stay away for, from other regions of the chemical space, mm -hmm. but the AI just sifts through all of it. So they can open up new new pathways and potential combinations that chemists wouldn't otherwise think to look for. Yeah, and that's a huge point. So basically what Elliot is describing is you're using nature as a teacher. So you're going off, say, a natural compound that you know has some effect on the body. And then as a chemist, you're trying to make little improvements. So you're, you're kind of tinkering with, say, a few atoms. And what we call that is an analog. So it, it looks similar to the natural compound, but it's slightly different. So you're, you're hoping that you can tinker enough that you make a compound that even has better, um, say, potency, or it, it's better at binding its target than the natural compound. That's quite difficult because nature usually has like the gold standard. But the idea of you're only making incremental improvements to what's already known, what Elliot is saying is AI is now open where it's not even really considering, oh, okay, this is what we already know. We're going to make incremental improvements off this. It's saying... Oh, okay, but we just identified these compounds that no one's ever even worked with. And then that becomes interesting because from a drug company's perspective, you're looking at that thinking, okay, whoa, no one's even gone in this space before. Like we haven't even seen therapeutics that look anything like this. And so there's upside there. But then as we discussed earlier, some of the solutions that the AI can come up with you might just immediately veto because you realize how unrealistic it is or but they also can't from what i understand they also they, I, I can't tell you why they think it would be a good drug or they think it would be effective or what it'd be effective for they can only come up with what they think is possible exactly and that's a or what they know is possible yeah and that's where again as, as we already mentioned like we're not computer scientists so the word ai i know it's touted it's just passed around it's a huge buzzword the, the main thing here is just that it's not clear and it, it seems unlikely that the program actually knows deep down what it's doing, right? It's just, it's got a, a, it's got a data set to work with. It's optimized to kind of sort through and identify key, key features that it's, it's trying to say, okay, so given, you know, what we know from this data set, these are all the parameters that we're trying to maximize or, or try to optimize. And then it's just giving an output, but it's not clear if you were to ask the program, oh, why did you come up with these 20 compounds out of the starting 100,000? It's, it's not clear that you can really understand why it did that. And so there is a disconnect there, right? So people might call it algorithmic black box, where you're trying to understand how you go from input to the received output. And th that's still something that is quite prevalent in the industry right now. Mm -hmm. And another thing, I don't know if you want to shift here right away, but the the mixture between humans and AI. Okay, we'll go there. Yeah. Um, I don't know when I heard this, but I heard that an AI can always beat a human one-on-one -on -one in a game of chess, right? Yeah. And all the time, the AIs always outperform the humans. But what outperforms the AI 
is a human and an AI, can yeah. outperform an AI. So you have the AI's optimization with the human's creativity. Yeah. And it seems that this also applies, this may also apply in the drug uh, discovery space, that if you connect the human creativity with the AI's optimization, that would um, receive the best results. Because like we mentioned, there's some drawbacks with the AIs. They come up with unrealistic compounds. They can't tell you why a drug is good, whatever. And the humans are maybe not as slow, but have more expertise on it. Yeah. And I, I think this is a worthy time to take a tangent just because I'm, I'm really excited to kind of dive into this. So the idea of chess, here, here's a trivia question. Do you remember who was the grandmaster who lost, who was the first one to lose to an AI in chess? No, but if you say the name, I'll remember. Okay. So it was Gary Kasparov, okay, Russian yeah, chess course. grandmaster, and IBM's Deep Blue beat him for the first time in that made a huge splash in 1997. And the other part of the tangent that I want to talk about, because you brought up chess, which is awesome, is... (laughs) (laughs) So when when I mentioned Isomorphic Labs at the beginning, it's it's a... Again, this company just launched yesterday. So it's the website. They're not really revealing anything. But what's interesting is the CEO of Isomorphic Labs is also the CEO of DeepMind. And so for anyone who knows DeepMind, it's, it's a really fascinating story they developed the first AI, basically through a machine learning approach, to beat the Go world champion. Okay, Okay. so a great documentary that hopefully people, if they're interested, they should go watch. It's Queen's Gambit. No, 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 but that's, <laughs> that's, also, that's also worthy <laughs> of, of watching. <laughs> basically, there's a documentary called AlphaGo, which highlights how DeepMind created their AI and, and how they tested it against basically the, the world Go champion who was from South Korea. And you can find it either on Netflix or YouTube. It's about 90 minutes. But it's worth seeing that because what Elliot also described about how, okay, it's one thing to pair AI against human, and now it's pretty much AI wins all those. Mm-hmm. And if you pair AI versus AI, it's, I don't know, from a human perspective, it might not be that exciting because there's no kind of personal element. Yeah. But it's called freestyle chess when you combine a human with an AI. Okay. And this brings us to a really interesting point, which... I think you will always have this element of human and machine because they they kind of have opposite skill sets that they they're able to balance and you brought up the really good point which is on the human side we we have the creative ability and we also most chemists that are that are skilled they've been in organic synthesis for many years they can easily identify if a solution makes sense like right from the get go yeah. the programs will get better where hopefully they they won't recommend structures that the chemists think either there's no way we can make this or this is just so unstable. This is right. not going to work in a system. It has the, the capability to, to enhance drug creation like crazy and make healthcare a lot quicker, make drugs um, a lot faster. And hopefully this, the overall goal of this is, well, for them to make money, but for us to, to get diseases down. And let's say another coronavirus breaks out. If you have an AI searching through crazy combinations, even pair it with a human, it, it can make the drug discovery of, of some disease a lot quicker. Yeah. And I think this is an important point just to go back and, and mention, which is, so part of the reason we're describing all this, and one of the key things that I mentioned is, hopefully this process is going to make drug discovery all the way to bringing a drug to market much much quicker, right? Much faster. And so as a result, what that would mean is you would have more drugs being able to be approved, say, by the FDA for a variety of diseases that we find it difficult to even, say, 
produce at least one drug a year for. Part of the reason is these timelines. They're, they're very long timelines to bring a drug to market, and it's also highly expensive. For example, from what I remember, you know, you can have a drug maybe on the early side be eight years, but it can easily take more than a decade to bring a mm -hmm. drug to market. And a lot of companies that are just starting out off, I mean, that's a huge hurdle where you're bleeding money. And it's also not a guarantee that even if you make it to clinical trials, which you have to go through three phases of, that you're going to have promising enough data that the FDA reviews it and says, okay, great, congrats, you're now on the market. So hopefully this is going to be interesting where the timelines will shrink, we'll have more drugs in the pipeline for patients. But also to, to go back to what Elliot said, the, the another key perk here is that you could have the AI be able to identify compounds that we've never even thought of before. So if you're shining a flashlight in the dark, I mean, the, the AI has a spotlight, right? Yeah. The AI can actually show the whole wall where on, you're only seeing, you know, a light circle of it. And what's kind of worrisome if, if people don't know is all the drugs we have today only target such a subset of all the things possible in biology that you could tinker with. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to, this is, I'm not sure if it's outdated, it's probably five years old now. It was a TED talk and an oncologist was basically saying how the current arsenal of, of drugs in the pipeline targets something less than 20% of all possible targets. Wow. Yeah. That's and, and just the, la the last point I'll bring up is with AI entering the, the drug space, you see a lot of, like we touched on earlier, a lot of cooperation between different companies. So I can't remember the name of the company, but one of them, a, a smaller drug company, had partnered with Microsoft to, to be able to use some of the AIs Microsoft has in order to search, um, in order to search multiple drug compounds. So they provide the AI, and then Microsoft takes a chunk of their profits when they get a drug to market. Yeah, which is interesting. That that's where I want to pivot. This is so what I read was a lot of the smaller biotech companies that are making these algorithms. The pharma companies are happy to partner with them because obviously that accelerates their drug development program. If you had to take a pick, you know, what do you think is more valuable later on the actual algorithm as they get better mm -hmm. or the drug if you're able to get the drug to market and then reap the benefits there? Whoa, just which I'd rather have? Yeah, like I'd rather have the algorithm. Yeah, because then probably. Yeah, yeah, because well, I'm, I'm just when you started to explain, say, if you're a new biotech company and you opened up and your first three drugs you're hemorrhaging money and your first three drugs fail, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, you're done. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you have the algorithm, you can always tinker with the algorithm. Love the use of tinker in this yeah. conversation. <laughs> tinker with the you can just manipulate these. <laughs> you can tinker with the algorithm yeah. and, uh, and you'd be in better shape because also if you're a master at AI and you can apply AI to so many things, which is basically the basis of this conversation because I never thought about AI and drug discovery in the same yeah. branch at all. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, even if the FDA changes, we know right now the standard model, the FDA basically will assess a drug based on its safety and efficacy yeah. over clinical trial data and preclinical trial data. I'm curious to know if there's going to be regulations over the algorithms that are being used in the healthcare space in terms of sorting drugs. But I guess that wouldn't really matter because the the proof is in the pudding in yeah, terms of seeing terms just of the, the data drug, of the yeah. drug. Yeah. And the trials. Yeah. It doesn't matter so much how you get it. Yeah. So I think this can be an exciting space. Uh, I also want to read a quote that I have here from Andrew Hopkins, who is the CEO of Accentia, which uh, was actually a spin off company in Dundee in Scotland. And I believe now they're based in Oxford, England. 
And so the quote is as follows. It's not looking for a needle in a haystack. It's looking for a needle on the entire farm. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just highlighting how so we've basically been oblivious because either we think all the answers are found in this one haystack where a farm could have, you know, several. Yeah. Or it's just we don't even know the size of the farm. We don't even know that we're on a farm, yeah. right? Like the, the old approach is, oh, we think there's a haystack. Let's try to find the miracle drug. Yeah. And now it's, oh, we're on a 50-acre farm. Yeah. This isn't we the only haystack. We need to find a needle in the wheat production <laughs> yeah, industry. We need to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to add here. I'm excited that we got to talk about this today. and yeah, I, 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 I think it's a very cool topic. And I feel like we always keep coming back to AI on this podcast because it's just you know permeating through so many different topics at the moment. And I feel like it definitely won't be the last time that we... But we discuss AI, and then we can, I don't know how often we have before, but but break down all the, the what-ifs of AI. Oh, totally. And it's it's funny because pretty much every time we have to give this disclaimer, no, no, we're not computer scientists, we just like talking about AI. Sure, it's a buzzword. Sure, it makes a lot of headlines in the news. But I think part of the reason it does, especially for specific AI, is that there's actually huge advances being made. Exactly. So general AI is still something that is a fancy buzzword, but... These companies, I mean, if you're knocking four or five years off bringing a drug to market, that's going to change everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure we'll talk about AI in the fashion industry next week. Or oh, that's like that. that. <laughs> That'll be very interesting. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Peace. Peace, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope you gained some new insights. Tune in next week for another fresh topic. Until then, stay curious and think differently.